Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to the show. My name is Carrie Lipper Gillespie, and I am your host. I hope you are having an amazing week. I hope this episode finds you very, very well. I am going on week two of being in Wisconsin and uh, vacationing. It has been really great, really uh, reviving myself. It's been fun. Last episode, I told you guys I gave myself a B, a solid B on my vacation status of how I was doing. I stick with that. I think maybe I've even got myself up to a B plus, to be honest with you. I have been relaxing. I've still been working on some things, but I haven't been adding excess like things to my plate, which was really my goal. My goal was not to be a vegetable because I still do have work to do on my computer while I'm here. But my goal was just to not add like dumb shit that I don't need to add to my plate you know, while I'm here, because that tends to be my problem. And I really do think I'm getting into B plus territory, honestly. So really happy with that. Let's get into some content uh, updates and some rants and some raves. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Like I said, I have not been watching a lot of TV or anything like that while I've been here. I don't have access to my Hulu account. We have Hulu Live. My husband and I, we don't have cable, but we have Hulu Live. But it is hooked up to like our IP address at our apartment in Kansas City. And Hulu Live is like really picky about kicking you off of things like the Netflix stuff. Like you can share that shit with like like everyone, like the random person down the street you can share it with and you can have it open on like six different devices and it doesn't matter. Hulu Live ain't like that. All right. Like it gets mad at you if you are hooked up from another IP address and I really don't want to get kicked off. So I have been refraining from using the Hulu Live. So as a result, I am behind on a lot of shows. So I'm behind on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I'm behind on the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I'm behind on like everything that I watch via, you know, like weekly Hulu Live. So not going so well, but I will say I finished up Only Murders in the building. I wrapped up that series and I really do like that show. thought the ending was great and I'm excited to see where they take the show in the future if you haven't watched that. Recommend Martin Short was my favorite character by far. He was hilarious and just had all these like funny like goofy one-liners. I love quirky characters like quirky people in general are kind of my jam but quirky characters on TV like that's just who I gravitate towards to um, and he was so quirky. I loved it. I loved it. It was great. Another show that I've been watching that I've told you guys about, it's called Dope Sick. I told you about that last week. I'm continuing to watch that. And they released another episode like weekly. That's another one that's on Hulu. And I am caught up on that. But there's another show like it's kind of coming to like a boil. And I think the next episode, which comes out tomorrow, is going to be the final one. And I will have some thoughts on how they wrap it up because I really love that show, but it really could suck if they wrap it up or how they you know wrap up the series in an odd way. So we will have to see but definitely recommend Dope Sick if you have not checked that out on the content plate. Now, a new show, new to me show that I started watching while I was here, which is on Netflix, because we got all access to the Netflix, um, you know, stuff. You can log on to the Netflix account from anywhere and you don't get in trouble. <laughs> so I, my husband and I actually, we decided to start watching you on Netflix. And I have put off starting to watch this show, which is strange for me because it really is the type of show that I would gravitate towards. But here's the thing. You is a book. All right. It's a book. And I read it several years ago. Like it's not a new book. I read it probably like four or five years ago. And I believe there's three books in the series or the trilogy, I should say. And I really have mixed feelings about when I love a book and then when I watch the TV show, because a lot of times it doesn't do it justice. 
or the casting is off or they deviate from what the book did to what the show did and I get upset or I get annoyed or I get the storylines confused, to be quite honest with you. And I can't like piece things together. I get confused. Now, I decided to start watching this show because I read the book a while ago. The books are are not new. Like I said, it was probably four or five years ago. And I remember the basics of the plot, but all like the idiosyncrasy like parts of the plot, like I don't remember because like I said, it was four or five years ago. So I don't remember the little parts. So if there are a lot of differences between the book to the show, it was so long ago that I read it, it it won't really bother me that much. I'm not going to pick up on all the little things. So I, I figured that was a crisis averted there. The other thing was, I'm just I'm just really curious, all right? It's been getting a lot of play in the media because of season three, and I'm curious, all right? And I have to say, I've watched three episodes at this point, and I really do think that it was wonderfully cast. I think Penn Badgley is so great at being this creeper, like being Joe, this creepy guy, and he pulls it off so wonderfully, and it really gives me Dexter vibes. If you did not watch Dexter, you know, back in the day, I was a huge Dexter fan. And it's coming back now. They're like reviving it, which I'm definitely going to watch it when it happens. But it definitely gives me Dexter vibes, like lovable serial killer who obviously had some horrible childhood trauma. And the way he is now is like only because he went through such like a horrible childhood and you you feel for him, you love him and he doesn't go around willy nilly like, well, actually, Joe kind of does go around willy nilly. Dexter didn't go around willy nilly. But even so, like I have this empathetic part of me that really feels for this kind of character, the Joes and the Dexters of it all. And I feel that way again. And I don't know if it's just because Penn Badgley pulls it off so great, but I do think he was amazingly cast. Also, I did not know that Shay Mitchell was Peach Salinger in this show, which is so, again, I think really great cast. So I don't think that they have mentioned this in the first three episodes that I have watched. But in the book, they definitely talked about the fact that Peach Salinger, the reason why she has all her money is because she's like a direct descendant, like the great granddaughter or something, or the granddaughter of J.D. Salinger of Catcher in the Rye. So that is really something they talked about in the book, that she was like a direct descendant of J.D. Salinger. They have not mentioned it thus far in the show that I know. It's just kind of that she somehow like has all this money and is rich and is like a debutante and and a socialite and all this other stuff. So that is one little intricacy from the book that I do remember that I have not seen played out in the TV show. But otherwise, I'm very intrigued. Like I said, I find Joe to be a lovable, crazy person. And I have a weak spot for lovable, crazy people, obviously. Let's move on to some of our trending topics from the week because we've got a broad range of things to discuss. Topic number one, which I'm sure you've all heard about, Facebook has changed its name to Meta. That's right. Meta. All right, let's dive in. On Thursday, October 28th, CEO Mark Zuckerberg announced that his tech company is changing its name to Meta, while the social media platform will remain Facebook. According to a press release, Meta aims to bring together the company's apps and technologies under one brand. Meta's focus will be to bring the, quote, metaverse to life and help people connect, find communities, and grow businesses. So this was obviously big news this past week. And a lot of people, when they first saw this, I heard people being like, oh, is it going to be called Metabook? Are they, you know, changing, blah, blah, blah. No, definitely not. Facebook is going to stay the same name. Instagram will stay the same name. You know, all of the subsidiaries under this company will stay the same, but they are changing like their overarching brand, you know, to be meta. And as, you know, it kind of read in that short story there, it sounds like they are really trying to position themselves as a tech company, you know, for so long 
along. They were a social media company, but they are really, really trying to cement themselves really in the tech space. And I think that they think that changing their name to Meta kind of being all encompassing will do that. Um, I don't really know. I don't really care all that much, to be honest with you. I'm so meh about Facebook. I, I don't know. I mean, this was news, of course, because Mark Zuckerberg's worth like a half a bajillion million trillion dollars. And of course, Facebook is the biggest company in the world, practically. So of course, it's news, but I don't really care. Like, I mean, I read this and it's good to know, but I don't really care. I don't know. Maybe you guys really care. It's still something that's good to know. It's also just good to know that like they're not changing the name of stuff. It's just the overarching name of like, you know, meta. Think of meta as like an umbrella and Facebook and Instagram and everything else underneath falls under that umbrella. That is really the best way to think about it. Let's move on to story number two. Will Ferrell said that he turned down $29 million for Elf 2. That's a lot of money. During a cover story for the Hollywood Reporter's comedy issue, the 54-year-old actor discussed his decision to say no to the sequel to director John Favreau's beloved 2003 holiday film. According to The Hollywood Reporter, a script had been written for the follow-up installment and Will was offered a whopping $29 million to reprise his role as Buddy the Elf. However, the star ultimately decided he wouldn't feel proud to make the second film, as it seemed to him as though it was just rehashing the original magic of the first one. Farrell said candidly, I would have had to promote the movie from an honest place, which would have been like, quote, oh no, it's just not good. I just really couldn't have turned down the money. He went on to say, and I thought, can I actually say those words? I don't think I can. So I guess I can't do the movie. So there has definitely been people that have called for an Elf 2 or a second installment of the movie Elf because it is so good. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies. It's just, it's incredible. I love that movie. But I also respect people who want to let things lie and that think that like the success of one thing doesn't mean we need to like bastardize it over and over and over again until there's like nothing left and we kind of hate the original in the first place. So I respect this. And Farrell has like a habit of like doing this for movies that really, really pop off. He actually uh, had a visit on Watch What Happens Live in 2017. And a fan asked him if he would ever do a sequel to Elf or his 1998 classic A Night at the Roxbury. And Will jokingly replied, I've got great news for you. The answer is no. So uh, A Night at the Roxbury is another one of like his really well-known movies that people I'm sure like, you know, when you first think of it, you're like, oh my God, totally. Like, let's get Chris Kattan. Like, let's do another one, blah, blah, blah. But I I think when his movies really hit it, he's like really hesitant to do another one in order to preserve like the uniqueness of the first one. It's obviously not 100% the case because he did sequels of Anchorman and then he did sequels of like Daddy's Home. Um, But I would argue, especially Daddy's Home, like was not like a huge success. Like I've seen that movie. I've seen the first one and the second one, but it was no way near the level of Elf. Anchorman was obviously a huge success and Anchorman 2, like it wasn't horrible. I I mean, I don't, I don't know. The first Anchorman was always the best one, of course. And, and I, I don't know. It's his prerogative. If he doesn't feel like he could do it justice as the main character, or if he feels like the script is shitty, like that's totally his prerogative to walk away from $29 million. At this point, Will Ferrell is rich, like really, really, really rich. I don't know. I, 
it sounds so dumb to say what would $29 million more do for him, but that's kind of the case, you guys. Like, he's got money coming out. He's got enough money for, you know, everyone in his family. Like, he's got generational wealth at this point. He's famous. He's rich. Like, I, I, it's not like another movie opportunity wouldn't come along for him. It's not like if he said no to Elf 2, like, he's never going to get another role. We know that's not the case. <laughs> so, like, I respect the fact that if he didn't saw the script and didn't like it, he was just like, nah, I'm good. Like, I'm going to walk away. <laughs> I feel like it is just so rare when a sequel is as good as or better than the first one. I mean, really off the top of my head, I mean, Home Alone 2 was probably better than Home Alone 1. Uh, again, another just classic Christmas movie that I just love, love, love. Buzz, your girlfriend, woof. You know, like, I just love me some Home Alone. And I really do think that Home Alone 2 Lost in New York was as good, if not better, than Home Alone 1. But it's, it's so hard. Like, it just, lightning very rarely strikes twice. And and I respect actors who are not just going to, like, take the payday and do the movie just because. I really do. Story number three is a little bit of news out of Bravo regarding a brand new Housewives franchise. The Real Housewives of Dubai is coming as a Bravo franchise sets its first international series. On Monday, November 1st, Bravo announced it has given a series green light to The Real Housewives of Dubai, which will premiere in 2022. Although the series format has been sold numerous times to overseas markets, this is Bravo's first international edition. As the 11th city in The Real Housewives franchise, the show will deliver on all the hallmarks that fans have come to expect, with a collection of women balancing relationships, careers, luxurious high-end lifestyles in the United Arab Emirates. You guys know that I'm a Real Housewives fan and that I watch not every series, but a lot of them. And for some reason, it's so bad, but so good. And that's really all I'm going to say about why I watch it. It's just entertaining television. I know it's trash. I don't need a lecture. That's definitely for sure. But it's just good television. In terms of the international aspect of this, as I said in this story, they have tried to sell this model to other, you know, other networks, but it's never been like produced and put on by Bravo before. So they had the Real Housewives of Melbourne, which is in Australia. They had a couple of other ones in international cities and they they never did that well. But like I said, they were never put on completely by Bravo. They just sold the idea to other production companies and other networks. The fact that this is really Bravo's baby in international waters makes me feel a little bit better. And I'm curious to see. I mean, I'm definitely going to watch it. I, I'm going into it like completely don't know what to expect. I I've obviously never been to Dubai and I don't know anything about what life is like in Dubai, except that there's a lot of money there. And it seems like a really great spot to have a show like this. You know, I'm kind of surprised that this was the first city that they went to. I would love to have seen like a Real Housewives of London or, or something like that. I, I'm not sure. But I guess that I'm surprised that this was the first like international series that they ended up going with. But I'm excited. I can't wait to see what this rolls out. And I'm expecting just a lot of everything. Basically, everything that we get in regular Housewives franchise, but like turned up to 11 because as I said, there's just there's a lot of I'm sure the women they have for the show are rich as shit and are just like, I don't know, just way over the top. Beverly Hills times like 100 is kind of what I'm expecting. All right, you guys, that's going to do it for our trending topics of the week, keeping you in the know on everything, making sure you got something to talk about extra your next happy hour. You know, I love to keep you informed. I don't want to send you out to these work events without anything to talk about. Let's move on to the interview portion of the show. This week's interview is really fun because I got to be interviewed. 
That's right. My best friend, Brianna, from back home, interviewed me and got to uh, let you guys in on some of my story. You know, it's been a really long time since I have done one of these types of episodes at the very, very beginning of my podcast. Literally, like, episode two, my husband interviewed me. But that was a long, that was a while ago. That was, like, a long time ago. So I wanted to come back and do it again. And, you know, every week I come on here and bring you guys interviews. And I try and get people to open up to me and tell me their story and be vulnerable with me and share what they know, what they've gone through, how they got to what they are. And I want to be able to do that as well for you guys because I have a story just like all of y'all do. And I do think there's things to be learned from each story. So if you're not familiar with how I got into broadcast, all of the highs and the lows and the bumps along the way, this interview is really going to enlighten you a lot in that journey. And I hope you guys learned something new about me because a lot of this stuff that I talked about in this interview with Brianna, I haven't talked about in a while because I haven't been interviewed and I haven't had anyone ask. So it's incredible once you say these things out loud and and repeat them and learn from them and people ask you questions about them. It's amazing how much like retrospection happens from just being asked about something that you haven't been asked about in a long time. So it was really fun. A huge thank you to Brianna for interviewing me. She killed it. So round of applause for Brianna. And without further ado, I am just going to get into the episode and let you guys listen. I'm going to start with a question that you ask all of your guests. Tell me about where you grew up and what you were like as a child. I love this question. Of course, I love it because I ask everyone it's your it. your question. I know. But I think, you know, this question for me, it really helps set the stage for people. When I ask people this question, they always like get this like little flutter in their eye of like, oh, gosh, you know, because you're going back to yesteryear. So <laughs> yesteryear. Surely. So I grew up in a really small rural town in central Wisconsin called Pittsville. Um, population like 800 people. No stoplights, one gas station, a bunch of churches, a bunch of bars, um, you know, a lot of farming, um, just a really small community. And that's where I grew up. My parents grew up there and went to high school there. They met in high school and then they got married and they traveled all across the Midwest because my dad worked as an executive in the paper industry. And so they traveled all over the Midwest in various cities. And then when us kids were born, when I was born, actually, I have two older siblings, they decided to move back and raise their family where they grew up because they really liked where they grew up. So I think the way they did things was kind of unique. They grew up there, left, you know, lived in a lot of other places in the Midwest, traveled and decided that they wanted to come back and they raised their family here. And that's kind of where I grew up. In terms of what I was like as a child, I was always really curious. I was always really um, wanting to like learn in a sense, not school learn. I hated school per se. But I wanted to fit in so bad with my brother and sister. Like, I remember so desperately wanting their (laughs) approval. (laughs) Like, I'm the youngest, so that kind of checks out. But I remember just wanting to do whatever they were doing. Like, they just hung the moon and the stars in my mind. And so in that case, like, I was playing basketball and football and baseball with my brother, my older brother and his friends and my sister and her friends. And... Because of that, um, athletics kind of took front and center in my life. I was I was born, I mean, I naturally have some athletic ability, but I also really think that like um, just playing with all those older kids and wanting desperately to fit in, like forced me to be <laughs> good at, you know what I mean? Yeah. Forced me to be good at it. So that's kind of what I was like, but I was always curious. I was always asking questions. Like I was, my favorite word was like, why? I was just going to say, were you one of those kids that was always like, why, why, why? Annoying as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> just say that. That's what I was. It was annoying. I always had wanted to know questions. I always wanted to know why things were the way they were. 
Um, I was just really a curious kid. I also, you know, from a, a young age, I really loved animals. From a very young age, one of my first, you know, memories was going to the farm up the road, my cousin's farm, and they had a fresh batch of kittens and we each got to take home a kitten and it was, it was like so amazing. I like remember, like I was like probably three or four and I remember that, like, and I loved animals. We had a family dog that I loved. Wait, 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 back up. Yeah. What did you name the cat? It was same with Squeaky. Oh. Yeah. I have, we, I have to know this. I didn't know that one. Yeah. Her name was, cause she had, a, her meow was kind of like, it, she had like a really little meow. Squeaky, yeah. Adorable. She was cute. And, um, I started riding horses when I was nine and I did competitive horse riding, uh, barrel racing, things like that when I was nine. And so I remember always like really loving animals and really being curious. And like, I was always outside, like playing around the dart. You know what I mean? Tomboy. Yes. I was a big tomboy. Definitely. That's okay. So, okay. So going back to like the school side of things, how did you get from like, when you went to college, UW-Milwaukee, talk about how you fell into what you're doing now. Yeah. where, Where did that start? So it kind of goes back to the fact that I was a girl jock and in high school and junior high, like athletics were my thing. I thrived at athletics, specifically basketball was my sport that I was really good at, but I was also good at track. I went to state for track a bunch of times, um, did cross country, even volleyball. Um, I was outside hitter in volleyball. Uh, so sports were just like my thing. And that was kind of who my, like what my identity was all wrapped up in. And I was really close to playing Division One basketball my in college, and I was on track my senior year to uh, score a thousand career points, and I was probably going to be Player of the Year that year, like Conference Player of the Year. I was just it was my year. Like I had been on varsity since I was a freshman, and that was my identity. And then like our first conference game of the year, I blew up my ACL. Mm. Yeah, and I like I tore it so bad like my ACL my MCL my meniscus I like fractured my tibia in two spots like it was bad and um it was it was heartbreaking like I was devastated for all the dreams that I had in place for you know finishing out my high school career but then I tore it so bad that the doctor who like did my you know put my knee back together when I did have surgery was like I don't think you should play competitively again he's like we put it back together and whatnot but I don't know that I could handle the rigors of you know a division one um, you know, schedule and how much you practice and all the times you have to be on it. And he's like, unless you're planning to play in the WNBA and I wasn't, you know what I mean? I wanted to go play basketball because I loved it and would maybe get a scholarship or something like that. He's like, I, I wouldn't recommend you doing it. Like you might, you might be back here, me fixing it again in a year mm. or two. So that was devastating to hear. And like I said, it was so much more than like just your dreams being crushed. It was, it was like your identity of who you always were being like ripped away from you and being like, okay, well, what am I now? No kidding. Who am I now? What do I do now? So it was really confusing. My senior year was really heartbreaking for a lot of reasons, but that kind of is what started it all. So when I decided to go to UWM, UW-Milwaukee, I really decided for no reason other than it was the exact opposite of my hometown and where I grew up. As I said, I grew up in a town of 800 people and Milwaukee is the opposite of that. It's the biggest city in Wisconsin. And, um, you know, it's a UW school, so it's, uh, you know, something that I knew would would still be in the UW system. I wouldn't have to pay a ton of money for tuition in another state or anything like that. So I really had one prerequisite was, was just I wanted to go to a bigger city and experience something different. So that's why I picked Milwaukee. And I still felt like there was a lot of my identity in sports 
And I wasn't sure if I was ready to let go of that yet. So I finished my first year of school at UWM. I came back for the summer and I was at my parents' house sleeping on the couch till like noon or something, of course. My parents are hardworking individuals at their, you know, jobs working. My mom came home over lunch and I'm sitting there like, you know, eating Cheerios in the couch in my pajamas while she's been working, you know, five, six hours already. And I remember her looking at me and just being like, yeah, this ain't going to work. Like you got it. You're not going to just sit here all summer on my couch. <laughs> um, like we're going to can picture your mom saying. This. Yeah. Like she was so sweet. My mom's the sweetest lady, but I remember her just being like, yeah, you, this ain't going to work. Like you're going to have to do something. So my mom called up one of her friends from uh, the ra- local radio station in Marshfield, uh, Mike Warren, one of my mentors, shout out Mike Warren. And she was like, look, and I knew Mike through various events. He was like, look, my daughter's in college. Can she be an intern at your station? Can she, can you do something with her? Like, get her off my couch. <laughs> and Mike, you know, the station there, WDLB, WOSQ is very small. He was like, yeah, we don't, we don't have an internship program. Like, we don't do that. We, we ain't gonna, we definitely ain't gonna pay her. Um, and we really don't have an internship program, but he's like, she can come to the station a couple days a week and like shadow me and I will have her do stuff. And my mom was like, okay, sold. And that was the other thing too, was that I was there in the morning with him. So when like, it was like, I wasn't on her couch anymore, you know, at noon when she got there, (laughs) I was at the station at like 6am, you know, doing things or whatever. But that's kind of how it started. It was just that, I don't know. I was still like kind of holding on to that identity in sports and through my work with Mike, Mike was the news director, but he also at such a small station that he would also do sports stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he was going and broadcasting sports. So I could go to the station and do the news stuff which, with him, which I didn't give two shits about the news stuff. But then if I would do that, he would then be like, well, come on along with me to this football game. And he would let me come along and I would do like play by play stuff in the booth with him for these high school football games. So it was like I got through the day doing the news stuff, helping him. And then at night he'd let me come along, tag along. And he would put me on air with him for like the basketball, the football, whatever games. With, with no experience. Just kind of threw oh, my you gosh. There. I was so bad, Brianna. I was <laughs> so bad. I'm sure you weren't. I was so bad. And it's so funny with at a small station like that, you know, everyone wants an internship at I don't know, I heart radio or these big stations or whatever it is, but you know, at those big stations, you're, you're not, I'm not going to say you're not going to be doing anything, but I, Mike put me on air right away. Like I spent a couple of days doing stuff behind the scenes. And then he was like, well, um, I have these reads that we do and we send them out to other stations, you know, time, temp, weather, you know, things like that. And he's like, why don't you do a couple of those? And I was like, oh, really? I mean, within the first week he had me like on air doing things. So there's something to be said for having an internship like at a small local station because he put me to work right away. Like, yeah. And I was on air right away and I sucked, but it didn't matter because they just needed it done. Well, there's only one way to get better. Yes. I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? And he was so busy. I mean, he does was doing a million different things at that station. He was busy. He's like, yeah, we just need it done. Like as long as you can like coherently speak and you're not cussing on air, like it's good enough. Like you're <laughs> you're getting it done. Like we're that's good. Like, please do this. Send it out. We're good to go. Yeah. I, you know, I, that's one thing that I love about you is that it, nothing is ever too, like, you're never too good for something either. And I think you've carried that throughout your career so far. And hope, I assume you will continue to because you're amazing. But like, I mean, even like when you, um, I, we'll get to it when you when you helped at the local community TV station. But no matter what we asked you to do, you were always like, yeah, I'll do it. Like, there was never a doubt in your mind. You're just happy to get on air, get behind the microphone. And so tell me what happened next. Yeah, so right. that summer, I spent that whole summer with WDLB, WOSQ. Okay. And that was great. And I felt like I really got my feet wet with that. That was awesome. I went back for my sophomore year of college and I did some traveling that I really enjoyed. I went to Asia for Christmas break, which was really fun. And I really enjoyed that. 
And then that summer, um, I kind of wasn't sure if I saw myself continuing on in like media. So I took an internship that summer, that next summer, the summer after my sophomore year of college, at um, the state capitol. I was an intern in the governor's office at the state capitol. And I'd always really liked um, politics and was really interested in politics. And I was like, well, maybe I'll be like a political journalist or something like that. And um, I had some connections at the capitol. I was able to get a, you know, an internship in the governor's office for that summer. And I, am a, I was a poli-sci minor. So I was a journalism major and a poli-sci minor. And I'm like, well, let me look into this. And I spent the summer doing that. And after that summer, I was kind of like, meh, no, thank you. Like, I, and I tell kids this to this day, like, you don't know what you don't want to do unless you try it. And internships are the perfect way to do that. I'm really glad I had that internship. I'm glad I tried it. But after having that internship, I was like, no, thank you. Like, I still finished my poli-sci minor. I still am really interested in political science, things like that. But I just didn't see it for a career path for me. Yeah. And again, you don't know until you try it. So, yeah, again, you got to start somewhere. So don't be too proud to to try something. Yes. And don't be too proud to admit that, like, you want to change your mind. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's no shame in that. Yes. So after that, let me see what happened then. Goodness gracious, I ended up taking, this is kind of the weird part of my journey, not weird, but it's notable because I took a year off of school to travel backpack through Asia. I really liked my first trip in Asia. I went for Christmas break for about four weeks and I was kind of feeling lost and confused in my career path. Like I said, I kind of still liked media, but I was struggling as to see the path. And then I did the, tried the um, poli-sci stuff with my internship at the Capitol and I didn't love that. So Um, I took some time off of school and yeah, having the conversation with my parents who are paying for my college, I'm so grateful that I have parents who paid for my college, but telling them that I wanted to take up, like leave school to go travel through Asia was like a hard conversation and God love them for like believing me. You know, their fear was that I wasn't going to go back. Once you leave, it's hard to go back. And my parents have, um, you know, higher degrees my dad has a bachelor's, my mom has a master's, you know, they like going to college was never like, it, it was just always what we were going to do, like mm-hmm. all of us kids. And I don't know what in them, because now that I'm to the age where like I'm married and thinking about having kids, it's kind of like I, if my 18, 19 year old, 20 year old daughter came to me and was like, yeah, I know you're paying for me to go to college, but um, I think I'm just going to not go for a year and go travel in Asia. I would have been like, you're going to get your fucking ass back to school <laughs> and you're going to finish your degree. Like I would have, I don't know what I would have told her. So the fact that they sat there and listened to me and didn't and like believed me and had faith in me is incredible. God love them. Um, so I did that. I worked for a little bit to afford to travel. And then after that, I went to Asia for, what was it, eight weeks, which was incredible. Travel is one of the best things you can do to open your mind and just create empathy for people and other cultures. And it was really rewarding for me um, in a lot of ways. And it really set me on my next path because when I came back from Asia, I needed it was the summer and I needed a job or an internship for the summer. I was planning to go back to school but I wasn't officially enrolled in any of my classes yet. So I was having a hard time finding an internship because I wasn't technically a student. Oh, Yes. So I applied for like an internship at Marshfield Clinic in their like PR department or community relations department that I really wanted. I didn't get that because I wasn't technically a student. There were like a couple other internships that I like applied for and I kept getting turned away because of this. And I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated. And it ended up being the best thing for me because it put me on the path to getting an internship with the Eau Claire Express is as they're like in PR 
and in like their community relations. And then I ended up being a game host for them that summer. And in a personal level, it's where I met my husband. Yeah, that's so right. It's kind of crazy to think about it because I did not want that job. That's funny. I did not want that internship. Like, again, we knew someone, our family, we were family friends with the guy who coaches the team. He still coaches the team to the day. To this day, his last name his name's Dale Varsho. And we were family friends with him and reached out and we made it work. They, I got an internship. They hired me. I still had to apply and everything and I didn't just get handed it, but it ended up working out. I ended up being a game host for them. My boss like was, came in the first week and was like, you really like to talk, don't you? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, if I gave you a microphone, would you, you know, do hits throughout the games (laughs) in the stands? And I was like, sure, simple enough. I've been on air before. And I did it, and it went really well, and he just kept giving me more and more. Do you realize how, how rare that is that, I mean, you've inter- interviewed enough people that if you stick a microphone in front of them, they, they freeze up freeze and freak up. out. It's, very, it's a very rare person that's like, yeah, I'll talk to you yeah. the microphone, and you're just like gung-ho to do it all yeah. the time. So that's, that's definitely your calling, I think. It's such a, it was such a kismet thing when I look back on how it all happened and how my boss, too, was just like, hey, like, you like to talk a lot. You're talking a lot when people are trying to work. Like, you're always talking. You're always socializing. Like, can I give you a microphone, and will you talk, like, with a purpose, like, during the, And I was like, sure. Why not? <laughs> well, and it's funny because you told me recently a story about one of your teachers mm-hmm. who yelled at you for talking too much. Yeah. And made you feel like complete shit. Yes. And now... Now look what happened. I talk for a living, yeah. Yeah, that was definitely like a pivotal point in my life too. I I mean, I was always that kid. Like all my report cards said talks too much in class. That was just the truth. And there, I was definitely like talking when I shouldn't have been. But I had an instance where a teacher really like called me out in class and really like talked down upon me and was disparaging to me in front of the entire class. And it really shaped me in a lot of ways (laughs) because I remember her like being like, you're going to, you need to wait, you need to wake up. Like you can't just socialize your way through life. Like you can't expect to just like walk into a room and like woo everyone, like with your, um, you know, personality and your speaking skills forever. Like you're going to have to take things seriously eventually. And I remember just being like, all right, like I ended up walking out of her class. I was like, I, I was in high school at this point And it was like one of those things where I was more mad about it and whatnot, but it actually set me on a trajectory where I was just like, actually, that's exactly what I do to get through life and I'm doing quite well. So thank you for your input. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she listens to yes. this. Yes. <laughs> Be like a good, like I told you so moment. Yes. But, um, something that you kind of alluded to, and I'm getting a little off track here, but I know something that's been important to you throughout your life is your faith and your, you know, belief in Jesus. And, and you kind of, you alluded to kismet and like kind of how all these things just fell into place. You want to talk about that at all? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think that there were times in my life when I was in really low points and really low points and mental health. I've had mental health struggles and anxiety and and things like that that I've struggled with before. And like the only thing that kept me going and in my lowest points was knowing that like there was a bigger there was a bigger reason for what I was going through. There's a bigger answer to what's going on around me. I'm a part of a bigger puzzle piece for lack of a better term. And that was really important to me and and definitely something that gave me like a grounding sense because when you're really in the thralls of like depression or mental health problems or anything like that, it's very much like the world is closing in on you. And the only way to kind of get past that is to have some kind of faith or some kind of um, understanding that like there's something that has your back, whether that's God for you or the universe or whoever it is, whatever you believe in that there's a purpose and there's something that you're supposed to learn from where you're at right now. 
and it gives meaning to your suffering. It, it gives a purpose for why you're going through what you're going through. It's not like, oh, the world is just here to, you know, smite me, almighty smiter, as Bruce <laughs> Almighty would say. But like that there's something you should be learning from what's going on. It doesn't take away from the pain, but it just gives meaning to it. Yeah, I love that. No, I, I think you're such a good um, advocate for that, too, mm-hmm. because you've, you've been through a lot and you've, you've worked through it. So um, we were at Eau Claire Express. What's next? So after the Eau Claire Express, I went back to school and went back to UWM and um, did classes and whatnot. And then that next summer, I was I liked my time working with the Express so much that I knew I wanted to work in baseball again. So And so what I did is I went down to one winter, I went down to Nashville where baseball winter meetings was being held. And I got a meeting with a miracle. I got a meeting with the Pawtucket Red Sox and I told them what I did. And I'm like, I want to work for you guys. And, um, you know, do you have any internships in PR, community relations and anything like that? And I told them I like being on the mic. Do you do any game hosting or anything like that? And they were like, yeah, like their head of PR was there and he liked me. He thought I was tenacious. He thought I was gutsy and gritty. And they pretty much hired me on the spot there, which was great. So I finished school that summer. And then that summer I drove out to Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And with like just my car and my wrinkle, my dog, Gatsby. <laughs> and that we'll was all, him. <laughs> that was all I took with me was my car and my wrinkle. And moved into this apartment I had never seen. Like I went on Craigslist and all these places looking for an apartment and I didn't know anyone, took that internship there, had one of the best summers of my life. I can't say enough good things about the Red Sox organization and my time there. The other people I met while I was there, it was such like a family atmosphere and I loved it there so much. And it's so funny because the broadcaster that was there with the Pawtucket Red Sox at the time is Jeff, his name is Jeff Levering. He is now the uh, broadcaster for the Milwaukee Brewers. Oh, and I've had him on this podcast, yeah. but, uh, you know, we, that's how we met was we both worked for the Paw Sox and mm. he would call me Scani. You know, he's, he's got tons of flavors, tons of character. And I remember when he first, when we first met and I told him I was from Wisconsin, he had played baseball in Wisconsin a couple of times, but he'd call me Scani. And now he's here in Wisconsin as like the Brewers broadcaster. And we still, uh, you know, keep in touch and, <laughs> and he's put me in touch with some really great people. But it's funny. Things like that have come full circle. Here you are socializing through life. Seriously. <laughs> Suck it. I got to quit going back to that. But oh, that just drives me nuts. Yes. <laughs> Seriously. Okay. Great. So remind me, was it in Rhode Island that you snubbed Derek Jeter? No. <laughs> snubbed him? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> that was later? That was later. Oh, okay. So after Rhode Island, I came back and I still had a semester of a year of school left. And I got a really great internship uh, at a TV station in Milwaukee called WISN 12 and in their sports department and um, got to work underneath Steph Sutton, who was amazing, and Dan Needles, who was really great, um, and kind of got to work under them. And they, I only had to be there like two days a week for my internship, quite like what I needed to do because I was getting credit for this internship. But I wanted to be there more. So I was constantly like, hey, can I come more? Can I do this? Can I do this? Blah, 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 blah. Like I was so annoying, but I was just like, I was earnest. Like I wanted to do it all. So the Derek Jeter thing came up because the Yankees were in town. This was in 2014, the spring of 2014. Oh, that's right. I was thinking that for some reason they were in Rhode Island. No, no. This was in the spring of 2014. That was Derek Jeter's last year in the league. And so he had announced his retirement and everywhere he went, he was making you know they were having these ceremonies basically every you know team would have a ceremony for him 
So he was in, came to Milwaukee, and the Yankees and the Brewers don't play each other a lot. In fact, the last time the Yankees, you know, had played the Brewers was when I was in eighth grade. Now I was a senior in college, but I was in eighth grade, and my mom got us tickets. I grew up a Yankees fan. My mom got me and my best friend uh, tickets as, like, my eighth grade graduation present. Uh So we went to the Yankee game when I was in eighth grade, and it was so great. It was the best. I loved it. And then the next time they were in Milwaukee playing the Brewers, I was a senior in college, and I was interviewing Derek Jeter. That's so cool. That was really cool. It was so cool. He was there and did a press conference for, you know, we all the press wanted to talk to him and whatnot. And and it was fun. I was sitting right next to him. He was in the dugout. And actually, he came and sat next to me. Everyone was waiting for him and everyone's standing there. Well, it was my finals week. OK, and I was busy as shit. But Derek, like the Yankees were in town. I wanted to go cover it. So I told my boss I wanted to, you know, I'm like, if you need me, I'll be there. Like, if you need me to hold your coffee, I'll be there. So they're like, yeah, come on, help us cover the game. So I was sitting in the dugout going over my Spanish homework because I had this huge Spanish final and I'm sitting there studying. We're all waiting for Derek Jeter and I look up and he just came and sat like I was sitting on the dugout thing and and but he just came over and I looked up and I looked over and he was sitting right next to me and I was like I just kind of looked up at him and I put my you know because he came and everyone flocked right away. So everyone was like surrounding and I put my microphone up and it was just like we went to town, did the did the interview. I got to ask him a couple questions, which was really great and super fun. And yeah, that's kind of how that all happened. But it was such a full circle like moment for me. Do you get um, starstruck? So I always thought I would with certain people. But honestly, at that point, this is such like a typical answer of like a journalist but when I'm there doing things and I've interviewed some pretty like big name people Mm -hmm. in the sports field and at this point like my only like mindset is that I'm there to do a job yeah and I am I'm not that infatuated with like athletes anymore because I've worked around them for so I'm married to one too (laughs) but even this was before Casey and I were we weren't even dating at that point Um, I'm not as fascinated with them because at this point, like you kind of need to view them as your colleagues and like, I need to get, I'm like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like it was, it was fucking cool that Derek Jeter was sitting next to me, but at the same point in time, like I need to get something from him because that's my job. And if I'm sitting here just oogling at him because I grew up watching him on my TV and he was my favorite player and blah, 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 blah. And I'm so lost in oogling at him that I don't get something for my job. Like it ain't good. So like you got to you kind of got to pull it together. And at that point I had worked for a couple different baseball teams. When I worked with the Red Sox, I was constantly interviewing and around really big names in the Red Sox organization and they kind of lost their luster for me that I was just cuz they're really they they put their pants on like everyone else. I yeah. mean and you kind of have to look at them like that because they're so used to having the the red carpet rolled out for them. I'm not here to do that. Like I'm here to do my job. I don't need to roll out a carpet for you. I don't need to tell you how great you are. Like the fans around me are telling you constantly how great you are. You don't need that from one other person. Like I need to do my job. Well, I feel like you're always interested in what people have to say more than who they are. Yeah, I think so too. That's the impression I've always gotten. But um, okay, so after WISN, then what? So after that point, gosh, I kind of got a little discouraged and and I went through some bumps in my career because I took a job with a baseball league, like a, a short summer position. They're, they're a summer league. They just needed someone in the studio to do like their broadcasts and things like that. We would do like a nightly show. Um, and it, was, it wasn't the best experience for me, honestly. It just, it was kind of a wake up call that I had had so many good experiences in this field 
that I kind of thought that that would always be the case. And this was the first time that I didn't like my working environment. I didn't like the hours. I didn't like my bosses, to be quite frank. Like I did not like the messaging. I did not like anything at all. And it was really frustrating to me to feel like it wasn't, I wasn't working for people who cared about me as a person. Like I said, in the past, all my other employers, I felt like they cared so much about me as a person. I felt like these, I felt like I wasn't cared about as a person in this case. And it was really frustrating. So I did that job. And after that was done, I was really confused and frustrated and not sure of myself. That really took my confidence levels down and frustrated me. And I, I came back home and I took a job as like a waitress at a local restaurant in Marshfield. Mm -hmm. And I was waitressing there for a while. And I just wanted to make some money and just like, I don't know. I was during, that's when we met in that. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to make some money and chill out and relax. And Mike Warren, my mentor, who I told you guys about at WDLB, WOSQ, was like, well, you can still, you know, waitress. And, you know, I kind of came to him and asked him, he was like, well, you can still waitress and whatnot, but why don't I put you in touch with the, um, you know, the local cable TV station here in Marshfield and maybe they need your help with some stuff. And that's where I met you and Brett. <laughs> Evil laugh here. Evil laugh. Boy, did they. <laughs> so Mike put me in touch with you guys. And yeah, so I was waitressing and then doing stuff with you guys whenever you needed it, honestly. And you guys were so good to me um, in terms of giving me opportunities. And it was really a fun time. I don't know that I, if I've ever told you this story, but I remember the first time I met you and Mike introduced me to you and you walked in and I was like, oh great, another college grad that thinks they know how to do something. <laughs> who's, who's never, like, I didn't know about any of your past experiences. And I was like really jaded at that point by all the people that were coming in. Yeah. And then the first time you hosted for us, I was like, holy shit, she's amazing. <laughs> so I always think back the first time I met you. To be fair, the first time I met my husband too, I was like, oh great. <laughs> There's another guy I have to watch out for. This guy. <laughs> so I mean, that's just kind of my MO, but um, I just think that's funny because now obviously like through um, the TV station there, you've hosted, gosh, hundreds of yeah. programs. And um, then every every time you were home, you would do stuff for us even yeah. when you had moved. So, um, so talk about that a little bit because you lived so many places yeah. during that time period because of Casey. Yeah, this is where it gets kind of crazy and confusing and just like not the norm is that <laughs> not the norm not the pretty, norm pretty much an understatement yeah by the time 2014 like the end of 2014 uh my husband had officially asked me to be his girlfriend Casey and I had met in 2011 when he worked he played for the Eau Claire Express but we were really just friends we met and we we really got along and we stayed in touch but we didn't start dating officially until um the end of 2014 and so we dated long distance for a little bit. He was in his first off season for baseball and we dated long distance and I would go see him wherever he was playing. Um, and then shortly, you know, he moved up. This was probably the next year after he moved up to um, Florida. He got brought up to uh, was it high A Florida or yeah, it was high A and Port Charlotte, Florida. And I moved down there full time to live with him so that we could like actually have a relationship where we were in the same spot at mm -hmm. the same time because we had been doing everything long distance. And I kind of went on this journey of like traveling with him wherever his career took him for baseball. So it was in Florida for a little bit. Then where else? were Well, before Florida, he was in Kentucky. So it was Kentucky. It was Florida. It was Montgomery, Alabama. We lived in Montgomery, Alabama for a couple of months. Then we went over to Durham, North Carolina, and then Casey got asked to play winter ball. So we moved out to Arizona. We lived in Phoenix, Arizona for two months while he played winter ball. 
Then, um, you know, we went back to Durham for the next season. Then he got traded. So we went to Charlotte, North Carolina. Then we were back to Arizona for spring training in Florida. I mean, I've lived in, I've, Missouri now is the ninth state I've lived in. Wow. Nine. Yeah. And I just want to point out that your dog Gatsby has been with you. And all of them. And all of them. He's lived with me. And so you never fly. You drive drive with your dog, dogs now in the back of your car. And I think that's just incredible because there's no way my dog would put up with that. But yes. Gatsby has lived all over with us. He is my fearless like companion. He is so loyal to me and I am so like have such an unreasonable like emotional attachment to him. It's probably not healthy, but <laughs> I love him so much. And he's just, we've been through everything like together. He's been, yeah, everywhere with me. When I went when I was in college and went to Rhode, Rhode Island, literally, I put everything I could fit in my car and my dog, and I just drove out to Rhode Island where I didn't know anyone or didn't, you know what I mean? Like, he's the only constant that I've had. Even before I met Casey, yeah. I had Gatsby. So he's so pivotal to me. Yeah. So, but the whole time we were moving around, I was, uh, you know, kind of, I was supporting his career, but then I would come home for bits at a time to work for you guys. Yeah. And, and you were taking odd jobs wherever you I were. I was taking odd jobs wherever I could find them, wherever I could get on-air work. I was emailing. I was like, hey, this is my story. This is why I don't have, you know, this is why I haven't, you know, the typical path is you go to a local news station, you work your way up. You mm-hmm. spend some time at a station, then you go to the next station, then you go to the next station, you work your way up. I wasn't, a- or I, I shouldn't say I wasn't able to. I chose not to do that so that I could spend time building my relationship with my husband and so that we could actually be physically together, yeah. <laughs> um, which I valued and thought was important as we were new in our relationship and then new in our marriage. And so it really like it explains why my career has been, you know, kind of haphazard, but it's made me gritty and made me like say yes to everything. Yeah. And you guys were always so great. I would tell you like, hey, I'm, I usually try and would come back for the month of July because I love the 4th of July here. Mm-hmm. And I love the summer here in Wisconsin. Oh, it's beautiful here. So I would always try and come back for July. So I would tell you ahead of time, I'll be back July 2nd through July 28th. Uh, schedule me for as much as you can. And you <laughs> guys <you> would. would. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You would. guys definitely would. But you guys were always like so wanting my help. You guys help keep me like fresh on my game. Because I would go for periods of time where I would, it would be two or three months and I wouldn't have been on air and that could have really sucked. And it could have, and at times it was hard for me when you're passionate about something, then to not be able to do it, it was hard at times. Yeah. And it was hard balancing that all. But I can see in retrospect, it made me gritty and it made me do so many different things. I mean, yeah. I was, I said yes to everything because I never knew when my next opportunity was going to be. <laughs> so I said yes to everything. Yeah. So what would be your advice to somebody like looking to get into this type of work? So my biggest advice would be to like, to be gritty, mm-hmm. um, to try things, to try a bunch of different things. If you don't want to be like if you want to be on TV or you want to do XYZ, like don't turn away from radio. Like I am really grateful that I started in radio because it really helped me hone in on my voice outside of like, you know, when you're on TV, you have to worry about how you're standing, your body posture, your body language, your hair, your flies, your hair, your flies, like (laughs) everything comes into view. When you're on the radio, it's just about your voice. So I spent enough time on radio that I could hone in on my voice. And then by the time I got on camera on air, 
Um, I was so confident in my voice that I could worry about then, like, what do I do with, like, Ricky Bobby? Like, what do I do with my hands? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, then I was like, I didn't have to worry about my voice. I knew that was solid. I was like, okay, what do I do with my hands? How do I stand? How do I do my body language when I'm interviewing people? Things like that. But if you're young and just starting, like, you got to say yes to everything. You yeah. just, you got to be willing to help out. You got to be willing to, like, do things that you maybe don't want to do. And the goal of doing that is to be able to do that stuff so that you get to the point where you don't have to say yes to everything. I'm kind of at that point in my career now where like I, I don't have to say yes to everything that comes yeah. my way. So talk about this um, last or I guess current adventure that you're on because I think it's really cool. Yeah. So Casey and I moved to Kansas City in it's been a year. So in 2020, October of 2020. And through a friend of a friend that I met in Kansas City, the Kansas City Monarchs reached out to me and asked me to be their game host, which was amazing. I had not game hosted since my summer with the Red Sox, which was in 2013. So even though I had been doing a lot of on-air stuff, like I hadn't game hosted it in a while. And um, I forgot how much I enjoyed it, really. I wasn't sure if I would do it again, um, but it's so much fun. It's so like just fly by the seat of your pants, make sure people are having, like my job is literally just to make sure the fans are having a good time. Make sure they're engaged with the game, make sure they're enjoying themselves, make sure they're having fun. Like that's what I get paid to do. Like, I mean, <laughs> you, can't, you can't beat that. Like uh, it's really awesome. And it was the best summer ever. They ended up winning the championship. The team won the championship. My husband was also playing on the team. Um, he was their first baseman. So it was just like, it was a fun summer. I worked so much, but it was a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah. One thing that I think um, you told me during your summer with um, the Monarchs, one thing that you're really good at is making people feel comfortable on camera. And like, you make it seem like, you know, you're just having a conversation with them. And I think that is like such a rare talent, just like working with different hosts through um, my behind the scenes TV career, like it's, it's really hard to find somebody that makes people feel comfortable. So I think to be able to do that and then also to be able to inspire like that sense of fun, I think that's a really unique combo. So kudos. Thank you. <laughs> that, that means a lot to me and I take a lot of pride in that. And that really is my goal. You know, if I'm interviewing, uh, you know, say like Derek Jeter or a movie star, like we had Rob Riggle came to the field um, for the Kansas City Monarchs for, and I had I did an interview with him or whatnot. Rob Riggle is media trained. He's an actor himself, mm -hmm. and he has a publicist. He he knows how to talk to the media. Derek Jeter knows how to talk to the media. It shouldn't be hard for me to get something funny out of Rob Riggle. He's a comedian. He's an actor. He knows the media. But on a regular basis, I'm not interviewing people like that. On a regular basis, I'm interviewing uh, Billy and Susie who are at a baseball game and we just ask them to do our lottery hat shuffle game or we just ask them to do the beer chug race on the field or we just ask them to do one of our games. And, you know, they, they don't have media training. And it's my job to get them comfortable enough that they can partake in those things and that they can enjoy the time they're there. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when I'm able to do that, I love when I ask someone to do a game at the field or I have to interview like a fan at the game or something like that and they are nervous at first and they're like oh I don't know if I want to and I convince them to do that to do the interview and then afterwards they look at me and they say that wasn't that bad like that was actually kind of fun it's like the best compliment it's the best compliment for someone like me who's interviewing because that's my goal is like like I said those people aren't media trained like a, a microphone in their face a camera in their face can be scary to a lot of people and for those people to like be done when we're all done be like that was fun that's like 
I mean, that's music to my ears. And that's what I work for. That's what's important to me as a journalist. Speaking of what's important to you. Let's hear it. How's that for a segue? Um, One thing that I know that you've gotten really involved in in the last few years, and especially like in Kansas City and here, obviously, is animal welfare. Mm -hmm. That's a real passion of yours. So you have the floor. And as somebody who didn't like cats or didn't dislike cats, but didn't really know cats a few years ago, I'm so proud of you. (laughs) because now you're cat obsessed oh my gosh (laughs) well it's so funny Brianna because that's one of the first things when Mike you talked about when you first met me Uh you remembered your thought Mike introduced me to you but I remember him being like well maybe they have some work for you and he's like even if they don't have any work for you Brianna loves animals (laughs) I remember I remember that's like what he said to me and that he knew that I loved animals Mm -hmm. through like our talking at the station while we were working yeah and I remember him being like, well, let me go to, like, let me introduce you to them. And even if they don't have work for you, like she's an animal freak, just like you, you yeah. guys can be friends. Oh yeah. And I should clarify. You've always been an animal lover. It's just, I think it's hilarious. And now you're like a cat lover. Yes. Yes. And it's, it is funny. Cause one of the shows that I used to do with you guys is we would have the pet shelter come like once a month, we'd do an update with the pet shelter and the pet shelter would always bring cats into the studio. And I don't dislike cats, but I've never considered myself a cat person. And I was diagnosed like with an allergy when I was younger. And so I was always kind of like, well, I'm allergic, blah, blah. So you guys would always bring cats in the studio and I would kind of like pet them. But I was kind of always kind of like, meh, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of just like, well, they're kind of overrated. They just lay around. They just sit there and judge me, (laughs) you know, cats with their judgy eyes. And so I was never really a cat person, but I always considered myself an animal person. And it was probably in the summer of 2019. I don't know what. I don't know what struck a chord with me or what like tripped a trigger in my brain, but I decided that I wanted to set up and organize and fundraise to do a spay and neuter clinic for all the outdoor cats in my little rural hometown. And it ended up being such a huge success. We got a nonprofit partner to come do all the surgeries. You were my right hand gal. I owe you so much thanks because you helped me organize so much of that first round of clinics. I slow blank you so hard. No, do stop. And I know what that means now. <laughs> you know what that means. <laughs> um, so it was, it was really incredible and it really took off and it set me on this journey of being an animal advocate, but specifically like loving and appreciating cats. And you know, cats are just a rare breed. I think they're just different than dogs. Yeah. Now that I know them and I have my own cat, Cedric, Uh, I appreciate them so much more. They have such personalities, most of them. And they're just so much different than dogs. And and I don't know. But that's really what set me on that trajectory was just doing those clinics. Well, and your dog, Lila. My dog, Lila. I mean, I think that's really what probably kickstarted your passion for like rescue profit in the rescue side of animals so you should tell her story yeah so lila is our little blind rescue dog that we are obsessed with she's a sharpay just like gatsby and um, we were living in montgomery alabama it was summertime and i was about to come home for um it was probably like the end of june last month last week in june and i was about to come home for july like i said i usually would plan to come home in july and work for you guys the whole month And I got a message from a girl that I went to high school with, and she was like, hey, I know you have a Sharpay. Um, My mom, who lives out in the country in the middle of nowhere, found this little Sharpay wandering in the ditch by her house, and they took her in. She was emaciated. She was covered in ticks. She was obviously very unwell, and she was obviously dumped there because it was in the middle of nowhere, and they found out she was blind, so she didn't she didn't just run away like um and so this girl was like I don't know anything about this breed like she was just looking for advice on the breed 
And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I would love to help. So I came home from Montgomery, Alabama to Wisconsin the next week. And I took Gatsby to her house and I met this little Sharpay. And she was the cutest thing. She was, she had been through so much. I mean, and I fell in love with her and I was like, well, why, why don't we take her? Like I would, the girl, mm-hmm. the girl didn't pawn her off on me. She was literally just curious. She was like, I want to get this done. She was doing everything right. And she just didn't know the breed. She just wanted my advice. And I was like, well, why don't I take her for a weekend and see how it goes and whatnot? And we still have her from that weekend. Good. It's been six years. I love it. And now she's a total daddy's girl. And now she's a total daddy's girl. She, when they found her, she weighed like 20 pounds and now she weighs four. So she doubled her weight. Wow. She was so skinny. She was covered in ticks. They found out she was blind. Um, she was Lyme, she is Lyme positive, but she's never had any problems with it or anything like that. But so now you volunteer at two shelters in Kansas City mm-hmm. and you help out with Marshfield Shelter when you're home and you use your platforms to help even more animals. So yes. I guess what what are your goals there and for your career as a whole? Yeah. So, I mean, anim- my biggest passion in life, I tell people I love being on air. I love TV work. My biggest passions in life are animals and naps. Love it. (laughs) Those are the things I'm most passionate about. I love it. (laughs) So, I mean, really my goal for my career is to get, to have enough success that what I say matters. And I shouldn't say that because what anyone says matters. What I say right now matters. But to have enough success that what I ma- what I say matters on like a large scale. Yeah, uh, what to I have en- the platform. Yeah, to have a platform and have enough success that like when I endorse XYZ um, or when I put money or, or my name or something behind XYZ animal cause, like it causes people to look at it and to mm-hmm. respect it and to respond and to donate or whatever it is. So that's really my goal. And also, I mean, if I could be, you know, like the full-time spokesperson for... Uh, the Humane Society of Wisconsin or the Humane Society, I don't know, of the United States or, you know, anything like that. Like, but just using my platform to advocate for shelter pets, to advocate for spay and, spay and neuter. I'm really, po- you know, really passionate about spay and neuter because that is the reason why there's so much overpopulation in this country in general when it comes to animals. Um, and, you know, to just advocate for how great shelter pets could be. Before we adopted Lila, I was really, really, on. we... We had a dog growing up, my childhood dog, but we had never adopted from a shelter. He was a purebred Cocker Spaniel. He was the best thing ever. And Ian Gatsby, like I got Gatsby from a breeder 10 years ago now it was. And and I just, I wasn't sure that adopting was quote unquote for me. Mm-hmm. And my goal is to help people see that adoption is for everyone. Like there are so many lives out there already, animal lives out there that are already born. And these are great dogs. Lila is an incredible dog, an she incredible is. dog. And the fact that like this one person, whoever did this to her, didn't want her blows my mind because we we adore her. Everything she does, we take pictures and like she snorts. She'll like sniffle, sniffle, snort. And we'll be like, oh, my God, that's so cute. Did you just say what she did? You know what I mean? Like every little thing she does, we adore. And the fact that whoever did that to her couldn't see that. It breaks my heart, but it also proves that like what one person can't see doesn't negate that it's there. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, she, adoption is really, truly for everyone. And there's so many purebred dog. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I want a purebred dog. There are so many purebred dogs in shelters. Just last week, I saw Casey Pet Project adopted out this beautiful Akita, like this purebred Akita, wow. expensive, beautiful dogs. Uh, I saw a purebred Chow Chow they adopted out. A lot of, a lot of purebred Huskies come through there. Mm-hmm. Like there's tons of purebred dogs. There's 
When we lived in Florida, I got really familiar with, uh, there's a Chinese Sharpay rescue in Florida. Florida, it's the Florida Chinese Sharpay rescue. They purebred Sharpays. Like they pull them from shelters. Wow. And then they rescue out Sharpays. So if I wanted to get another Sharpay, I would adopt again. Like I could still get a purebred Sharpay without going to a breeder. So it's so much of it is about education and letting people know that it, and it's so rewarding. I mean, you know, it's, I don't have to tell you, it's so rewarding. (laughs) Preaching to the choir over here, but the audience at large might not know. So that's a good message. Yes. Um, You told me one time that the career that you wanted to emulate was that of Kelly Ripa. (laughs) Is that still your kind of vision or your goal, main goal, or has has that evolved a little bit? No, I mean, Kelly, it's so funny. I, I always tell my husband, Kelly's my queen. She really is. I love her. She's very spunky and very like, she has a ton of personality. So I love her in that sense. Um, and I want, I mean, my my dream job would to have be to have her job with live, you know, to be a morning show host on live with Kelly and Ryan, something like that. But in terms of whose career I would want to emulate the most would probably be her co-host, Ryan Seacrest, hmm. because I have a lot of respect for what he does. Um, you know, he does so many different things. I don't know if I'd want as many jobs as him because I want to also have a family. He does not have a family. Yeah. Um, and and he, he probably never sleeps. And he probably never <laughs> sleeps. I respect the heck out of him, but I don't know how he does it. Um, so I don't know if I'd want as many jobs as he has um, at one time, but Ryan has his radio show, then he does live with Kelly, uh, his TV show, and then he also does host like one-off events. So he hosts New Year's Rockin' Eve, he hosts Idol, he hosts all these other things. He's like, when you think of a TV host, like my first thing I think of is Ryan Seacrest, like he's the host extraordinaire. And so I would say my goal is to be like the female Ryan Seacrest. Cool. And to be able to like have my flagship things, my morning show, I would love it for it to be like a syndicated national morning show. But then do offshoots, again, do offshoots for um, animal causes, do offshoots for New Year's Rock and Eve or hosting something with the Super Bowl or the Olympics. I would love to be a host like in the Olympic Village, do oh stuff. Oh my gosh, I so enjoyed your Olympic commentary through our text messages. <laughs> so I, yeah, I will, I would definitely put in a good word there. Oh my gosh, yes. I would love to do something, you know, I really love pop culture. I would love to do, uh, you know, be able to weave pop culture into hosting and things like that. So that's probably who I would want to emulate the most. I mean, Kelly is still my queen. Like, I still just love her personality. She's just zero fucks, like totally herself. <laughs> That's totally my vibe. But I, she, she took the route of being an actress first. Oh, yeah. You know, she was on a soap star. I don't see that for me necessarily, but uh, I'd love to end up where she is now. Oh my gosh, I would love to see you as a soap. Oh my god, no one wants to see that. So hard. Oh, that would be hilarious. I would not be able to finish. You could do it. You could not keep a straight face. I mean, I don't know. I've always thought that I could do sketch comedy, but I don't think I could. Sketch comedy and soap operas are like the opposite of one another. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. Now I'm just like picturing it. <laughs> oh, oh, that's funny. Uh, so what's so what's next? Really, what's next is I'm not sure what's next. Uh, you know, when the Monarch season wrapped up, I told myself I was going to relax because I really did work a lot this summer, and um, I went through some burnout, as I chronicled here on the podcast. Um, so I did go through some burnout and I wanted to relax some and regroup and, um, really be intentional about my next step. So the next thing is you guys are kind of hearing it. I rebranded the podcast and I'm really taking the podcast in a really deliberate direction, um, focusing on interviewing and connecting and building a community around women and media. Um, and I'm really going to hone in and focus on that because I think that this industry gets the reputation of being, um, kind of cutthroat and don't get me wrong it can be at times but I also think that 
the community aspect of it is incredible. I am a huge advocate for women in media, and I think there needs to be more women voices in media um, from the top down, whether they're editors at magazines or they're writers or directors or producers or on-air people like me. Um, I just really believe in the, the power that women have in this field, and so I'm really honing in on that for the podcast and I'm really taking the podcast uh, more seriously and really pushing it towards the direction that I want it to go in in a specific way. In terms of what I'm doing on air next, uh, you'll have to wait and see. I'm not really sure yet. Oh, did I spoil it? No, you didn't. Um, I am looking forward to doing some things with animal welfare on the podcast. I'm not going to announce it yet, but that is your hint, animal welfare, and it will be on the podcast. Um, That'll probably be coming in early 2022. But yeah, in terms of on-air stuff, I don't really know where my next opportunity is coming yet. And I'm kind of just sitting in that and being okay with it. That's great. I know. It's scary sometimes if I'm not doing all... I'm a three. You guys, Enneagram talk. (laughs) I was going to bring up Enneagram. (laughs) If I'm not achieving, I'm like, oh my God, I'm dying. You know, it's like, I need something. It's okay to take a deep breath sometimes. Words to live by. Yes. There you have it, y'all. That is my story thus far. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something about me that you did not know. It means the world to me to have this community and to be able to connect with you guys. So thank you so much for listening today and for listening always. If you are enjoying the show and coming back week after week, it would mean the world to me if you went to Apple Podcasts and left us a rating and wrote a short review about why you like the show. That is really the currency of podcasts. So not just my show, but any podcast you listen to, the best thing you can do to support them, honestly, is just go leave them a review. It's as simple as that. That is the currency of podcasting. So go ahead, leave a review and and make their day. I swear to you, it definitely will make their day. Don't forget, you can follow me on Instagram in real life. I am at Carrie.Gillespie and the show is at Candid with Carrie. That's going to do it for this week, y'all. I am signing off. We will see you again next week. In the meantime, make good choices and be kind to others. Bye, guys.